So like my first association with compersion is seeing two of my parents cuddling with one of my dad's partners, you know, and like, I got so overwhelmed, I started crying. I was like, I felt so much love. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 75. Hey, we're three quarters of the way to 100. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. We're Emma and Finn, and today we have an interview with Co-Creation. Yeah, they are a sex educator. They are second generation poly. They talk a lot about growing up in a poly family with multiple yeah. parent sets and all sorts of stuff. So it's it's a, uh, an amazing interview. And we also talk a lot about actually some really good conversations on flirting and how to flirt safely and work in consent into the flirting, which is a good tip. Yeah. No, it's awesome interview, and we hope everyone enjoys it. Uh, we do have a couple of quick announcements. Oh, wait, wait. They're also an author. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of an important piece. So Super important. There, there's links in the show notes for the book, and check it out. How did I forget that? I don't know. We didn't write it down. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> okay, a couple of quick announcements before we jump into Ko's interview. Uh, we will be on August 10th. In Finlay, Ohio. At, foam party. Yeah, at the foam party for Club Euphoria. Links to that. I'm full in of energy this morning. The show notes. Yeah. And so check it out. If you're anywhere near the area or want to come to the party, please do. It'll be an awesome time. And if you want to learn more about who Club Euphoria is, I believe that was episode 14. Yes. Way back in the day. Back back during the original. Oh, this is still the original. Back in the day. Where are you going with this? I'll stop talking now. (laughs) What else we got? We got last night. Yeah, we had our, well, we're recording this on a Friday. And last night on Thursday night, we had our first Q&A chat for the Patreon group. And it was amazing. Yeah, it was super kick-ass. We had about 10 people-ish. Yeah. Come in and we talked for over an hour and everything, uh, everybody gave consent to have the audio recorded. So it is up available for patrons. So if you're hearing this in the future and you're like, oh, I wish I could have been there, you can be there. Yeah, it's available for everybody on the Patreon. So go check that out. We're super excited to do those and everyone seemed to love it. Yeah, and we will announce when the next date is for the next Q&A when we have it. Yeah, and thank you to everyone who showed up. I mean, not only for supporting us, but for coming and bringing an awesome conversation. Yeah. No, it was amazing. And we couldn't be more happy with how it turned out so far. Uh, let's see. What's next? We got, oh, we got a listener submission. Yes. We beat them into submission and then they submission. Whoa, then, whoa. They, then they submitted. Don't use the word beat unless it's in a positive context. I, it was. It was very positive. <laughs> no, we, we asked a while back for people if they've used the... STD check testing service to leave us a little voicemail and we got one. So 
we're going to play that real quick. And then we got a couple of things after that that actually they requested afterwards. So here is that. Hi, Emma and Finn. Just wanted to reach out and thank you for your recommendation about STD Check. Heard it on your podcast and checked it out online. So I decided to try it out since there was a location about five minutes from where I work. I went in on a Friday afternoon after filling out the information. In and out, took 10 minutes, did the blood sample and urine sample, and off I went. And as since it was a Friday and then they didn't work the weekends, on Monday, right after lunch, I got a text notification that the results were ready. So easy as pie. Once again, just want to thank you for the recommendation. This is Who Knows 2001 on Cassidy, and I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Bye. Awesome. We don't need to pause. Well, we did pause. <laughs> anyway, awesome. So thank thank you for sharing that because that was exactly our experience, and that's the experience we've heard other people had. And we just – the more people that hear about it and hear other people using it, the more people are going to use it and, yes. and get tested. So and thank you. As a reminder, you can use the links on our webpage. You can go to normalizingnonmonogamy.com and under the resources, there are links to sdcheck.com and you can get $10 off. Yes. And it also supports the show. So thank you everyone for using that link. Yeah. And the other quick note about that is when, um, when he sent in his recording, he had asked, he said, hey, have you ever had people reach out that, have a story about non-monogamy not working out for them. And so we wanted to put that out there because, again, this is ways to help people in, in exploring non-monogamy. So if you're a listener and maybe you had an experience that didn't work out and it didn't end up good and now maybe you're separated or whatever, I guess whatever the story is, if you're willing to share it, and we're willing to help you do it in a way that keeps people anonymous and is a positive and and motivational story for people, please reach out to us. We would love to have that. We're not just here to show all of the perfect ways that it happens. Well, yeah, because, you know, we firmly believe that non-monogamy is not for everyone, just like monogamy is not for everyone. So we want to get stories that, you know, that it, it may not work out out there. Well, and plus it gives people things to maybe look out for. Yeah. And and things you can learn from it. We can always learn from all situations. So yeah, and we all make mistakes too. <laughs> absolutely. Okay. Well, I think I th- that's it. Let's go hear what Co has to say, and we will see everybody on the other side. Yeah, let's go. Um, and can I swear on the podcast? Yeah, yes, of course. Great. You cool. can say anything you want. <laughs> yeah, we mark it explicit. I don't know if that does anything, but <laughs> but, but we do. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, welcome, Great. welcome, Co, to the podcast to normalize in non-monogamy, and thanks for taking some time out of your evening uh, to sit down and talk with us. You are, as we were talking a little before, our first official second-generation non-monogamous person. We've had yeah. people who who suspect their swing their parents were swingers, but <laughs> but nobody that it was like out and about in in their, in their household. So yeah. we're excited. Thank you so much. Hi. Yeah, my name is Ko, and I am really stoked to be here. And a little fun fact that I've been learning out on tour is that, um, so second-generation sex educator sounds really alliterative, and I've been using that for a long time in my promo. And then somebody called me, and it was like, you know that second-generation means your grandparents also must have had to have been poly. And I was like, oh. And, and what's interesting is that my poly mom's parents 
were free love hippies and were poly. And so I was like, ah, totally true. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's totally true in a very poly way. So um, that was a tidbit I wanted to share as my introduction. That's yeah. awesome. Um, Thanks. Yeah. So I do, um, uh, as co-creation, I do work around families and intergenerational communication, specifically in regard to non-monogamy, relationship structures, um, also gender and sexuality, um, and what it means to be a millennial. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so roughly, I guess then for anyone listening that, that has never seen you, you're somewhere in the millennial age range, it would seem. Based yeah. On- well, so that, that it's funny, uh, people will put you in or out of it depending on what they need, but yeah. I was born in 1990, what I think is an elder millennial. Um, and I am on the cusp of digital nativity. I did grow up, um, like I was working on a computer by the time I was about six years old, but I do remember like dial up internet and rotary phones, all that goodness. So it's been, um, a really fascinating, like, as I've gotten older, um, I'm finding a lot of value in being able to sort of see what came before in the 20th century and like what got us to this point and then also be able to like work with things that are coming up and being able to relate to um the the younger generations now who are totally you know like immersed and plugged in so yeah no it's we're we're kind of right there with you a few years older but we've we've seen a big shift in you know we had the old tube televisions where you had to go up and change the thing on the knob or we remember vhs's that was all that we used yeah so (laughs) We're right there yeah. with you. Um, For sure. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, getting into it a little bit, do you mind talking about first maybe what, like how you identify, whether it's, you know, sexuality or or relationship and love life type stuff, and then maybe also what it was like growing up in that, you know, in that environment? Yeah, absolutely. So I do identify as polyamorous and queer myself. Um, and very sex positive. And um, those are all like identity markers that I share with my parents and communities that we exist in together. And also I chose all of those things for myself. I discovered them to be true for myself. Um, And that was a really important process that I had to do, especially when people started asking me like, oh, well, you know, you grew up this way. So obviously, aren't aren't you just this way because your parents are? And no, Turns out it, no. Um, uh, so I, yeah, and I, I found my current relationship structure, I have always sort of been solo poly since before there was a term for it. Uh, <laughs> I've found myself focusing a lot on uh, my career and then also my big fat poly family and tribe as um, significant sources of my focus. So uh, in my partnerships, I have many partnerships. Um, I'm a pretty badass comet and um, I really enjoy uh, helping like fill out um, familial structures. I've been really curious now that I'm getting older and my partners are much more likely to be parents and like considering having children, uh, what it means to be what I call a meta parent, um, sort of like a metamor for the kids, yeah. you know, that's a whole nother ball game, I'd imagine. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I think that there, there are a lot of us who are going to be in that category and there's not a lot of support or visibility around that right now. So I'm super curious to experience it myself and learn from it and, uh, you know, share that, share that. I was really, really quick. You mentioned the term comet and I don't mm-hmm. know, I don't know what that means. And I'm, I'm guessing that maybe some other people might not, or maybe it's just me. 
<laughs> um, awesome. So a comet is, there are articles out there. I would go to Polly in the News or some other Polly blogs to find the links to them. But it's the idea that um, there is somebody who comes into your life on like a rotation and it might be a long rotation, but um, you know, like they come into your life and they flare and you have a beautiful time together and they're really illuminative and then they kind of go away, but you know that they'll be back because they're a comet, you know, they're on an orbit. So um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 Um, Minx and I did a really great podcast on this on the poly weekly podcast too, a little while back. Um, And I just put links to that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I discovered that as the comet, you kind of, you develop a sense of like where, you know, where your favorite spots are and like, you know, where your landing, landing people are. So you can still develop long-term, you know, sustained relationships, but it's a really helpful tool for like long distance. Yeah. Was, Mm -hmm. was there a reason that you felt that that was like the, the model that fit for you or like the, the position, I don't know, not the position, but like the, the spot that, that worked for you best, like, was it, did it take you a little while to figure that out and, and maybe why? Yes, absolutely. Also, I'm, so I'm 28 years old. Um, I've been dating since I was 14. Uh, so I figured out a lot of things, but I'm also sort of recognizing like, oh, you know, all the things you realize from dating in your twenties, you know, and that you, you might not want to, uh, replicate moving forward. So I'm realizing like that again, the solo poly idea sort of cropped up around me and then got stuck to me like a label because of how I was trying to figure out how to be in non-monogamous relationships. Right. Uh, I've, I've never had a, an anchor partner and I want to try that. I, I like, I, I want that experience. But what's funny now is everyone's like, Oh, well, Co, you're this, like, this is your style. Right. And I'm like, what? wait a minute, when did, I, I never said it out loud. It's what other people have been like, uh, well, not other people, but just, you know, society has kind of like put this, put this label on me. So yeah. I'm figuring it out myself, honestly. <laughs> yeah. It must take a lot of time to, to kind of figure that out. And when, when you were a teenager, did you, was it assumed, I guess, did you feel like you had to be uh, polyamorous or in a non-monogamous relationship, or were you trying to figure that out? I, it must have been, I guess I'm, it would imagine it'd be difficult to figure that out. Kind of, you have to try different styles and see what works for you. How hmm. did you kind of navigate that? Well, and, and yeah. one thought yeah. that I had on that, and sorry to interrupt you, but like, I think maybe where she's coming from is most people, when they grow up, the, the, the structure that they see modeled for them every day is, two parents, you know, roughly, or maybe a single parent, right? But it's rare that you see where it's like, I have my mom and my dad, and then they have some other partners, and then they have some other partners. And so it's not something that we all are exposed to from such a young age. Right. And I guess my my question was more like, how did, since you already knew, always knew non-monogamy existed, a lot of people are discovering non-monogamy, but you had to, I guess, kind of understand whether it was for you or not yeah yeah and it's not like I didn't know what monogamy was right you of know course not. Like yeah. I watched media I went to public school um uh, you know I have monogamous friends don't worry right. uh, <laughs> but like you're right I had to discover what what non-monogamy meant for me but also remember like teenagers are just figuring out 
what intimate relationships are like, you know, what their internal worldview is. So like the fact that my teenage Polly was occasionally a trash fire, I don't like, you yeah. know, that's really not different you know, than anyone else's teenage anything. Than anybody no, else, exactly. exactly. So, yeah, but I think you, there was something, um, there was something that you keyed into around the fact that I, I did already know this existed. And so I had a little bit of a running head start on, on being able to engage in non-monogamy. And non-monogamy is complex, so I got to explore different parts of its complexity, um, and through that, figure out what I like, what I didn't like, what boundaries are, the fact that I can have them, you know. Um, and something I'm discovering now is that between my own relationships and then watching thousands of relationships, you know, like, like. It, you know, I was in a community. So I grew up in Seattle in the nineties in counterculture Seattle. So a lot of our counterculture communities crossed over. And so we had this still have this beautiful thriving, like web, you know, that's kind of all the way through the city. And so even if the, they weren't directly connected to my polycule, I know who they are. I know their household name and I'm watching that relationship too. So I have had the unique opportunity to witness thousands of styles of poly and, and all the infinite ways that it can go amazing and terrible. And, um, I know some more of the narratives that other people don't have the context for, don't know, don't know the narratives of. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I do what I do and I share my knowledge because, um, there are, there are like keys to these things that we can help figure out, you know, how to make it more useful for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. What are, yeah. what are some of the things that, that you've discovered along the way that you found to lead down a more successful road versus a more, uh, tumultuous path? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, these are a couple of those things that sound simple, right. And then are much more complex. Um, but you know, some of the, some of the baseline ideas around relationship that your partner is choosing to be with you every day in every moment and be as engaged as they have capacity to be. And that is the thing to trust in instead of the rules or, you know, like whatever you're needing to fulfill your sense of insecurity about the relationship, like instead framing it as like that gratitude about the relationship, that one's been really big. Um, the idea of compersion, uh, people get so weirded out and wiggy sometimes when it's like, no, this could be a positive, joyful experience. Like, have you ever, like, I invite you to think about, you know, the, this feeling of seeing other people attain their fulfillment and joy and find joy in that. Um, right. it's kind of funny. People literally start getting shifty in their chairs <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> and, and yet like there are the other times when the light bulbs go off, you know, and I just see people be like, oh my gosh, that makes sense. That's the word I've been looking for. Um, well, you know, you know, the, 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 sorry, the interesting thing about that is though, both those things you just mentioned should be key pillars, whether it's a monogamous relationship or a non-monogamous one, right? And maybe the compersion isn't around you with another, your partner with another partner, but it's watching your partner go and do something on their own and you being happy for them, even though you might not have been the thing that brought them happiness at that moment, right? So it's, yeah, I don't know, just something I thought about that, like, those aren't poly-specific, you know, pillars of a relationship. 
It's true. Um, so one of the things for me is be, growing up in polyamory, I associate it with familial first. So like my first association with compersion is seeing two of my parents cuddling with one of my dad's partners, you know, and like, I got so overwhelmed. I started crying. I was like, I felt so much love. Right. And, and so to, you know, be able to figure out what the association works for you. Um, so for me, there's a whole lot of like familial stuff that comes up around polyamory. And, and as you say, like a lot of the tools that I talk about in my book are, um, not just tools for non-monogamy and they're not just tools for poly families, they're tools for relationships and for families. And I get, I am really excited to sort of showcase that and see, um, you know, how like, my family is with other families. Um, I want to challenge something you said in the intro about like people are growing up, you know, seeing one to two parents as their, um, you know, as their baseline. But I would say that a lot of large family dynamics, both in having a lot of siblings, as well as having extended family living in close proximity, aunties and uncles, grandparents, um, you know, that kind of living is old as time and, um, still very much exists today. And so that our framework around the nuclear family, um, it, it is a, a, you know, new, young and pervasive myth. Um, totally agree. And also, I mean, in even more simple terms too, you've got step parents, right? If, if there is a divorce in the family and, and both parents remarry and they keep, you know, cordial with each other, then there's a good chance that, Though they all might show up at a baseball game or something, right? And then it's it's very yeah. similar to having, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess. Yeah, so. totally. Which like you can, yeah, and you can. So it's about taking these skills and like learning the applicability applicability for them in your life. And yeah. I think you know, for me, having a family that was so large and robust, like like I. Uh, a lot of people ask me the question, so what was it like, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I have about a million and a half answers to that question. (laughs) Um, That's a very open-ended question. (laughs) Yeah, well, and maybe even simpler, what, what was the dynamic that you grew up in? Like, what did it look like? Cool. Um, so for anybody who has a copy of the book, there is a polycule illustration in the front, which has been very helpful. So I grew up with five parents, Two of them are my bio parents and the other three have been in like a lifelong evolving life partner triad. And then my, my, my mom, my bio mom and my bio uncle are two of the parents, right? So basically my, my mom's best friend married her brother. And then all of us have been like surrounding that family unit. Um, it's hard to explain with just words, which is why I wrote it down, (laughs) but I have three moms, I have an uncle and I have my bio dad and those are my parents. I have, uh, three siblings and, um, like those, those are the people that I, I grew up with and, you know, were my, my fundament. Um, we did not all live in the same place at the same time but we did live in different iterations with each other. Uh, cause also we were living in Seattle in the, both of the dot-com booms mm-hmm. and, um, we're not affluent, mm-hmm. which I think is also a little bit of a misnomer about, uh, modern poly is that everybody has resources enough to get six bedroom houses. <laughs> um, so 
No, no, we would, but we would live together in times of like necessity predominantly yeah. instead of as intention, which, um, yeah. And, and we totally love each other and we're amazing. Um, our house is called Snagglepuss and which my little sister came up with and, you know, none of us could convince her otherwise. So that was our house name. (laughs) Um, yeah. And as we've grown up, um, we all have, my siblings and I have had different paths with it too. Right. So my story, I really try and say that my story is not every poly kid's story. Um, not every, every kid, like you can have some moral and ethical disagreements. And then what I found is that there's also a huge, a huge factor of like, again, how is the family functioning? You know, like, is the the parental child relationship solid that very similar with like romantic poly? Like if it's not, poly's probably not going to make it any easier, but it's also not necessarily polyamory's fault. Right. Um, And so um, I like to sort of give the whole opportunity for breadth of expression because also like, I think one of people's primary underlying fears is that as a parent, you're going to screw the kid up somehow. Mm-hmm. And for people who don't think that this is a great way to live, they're convinced that people are screwing up children. And the reality is like, you're not going to screw up your kid any more or less than you would in any other structure. Yeah. Right. If, particularly when you are working in your highest ethical self to, to have good relationships. Yeah. So, um, well, and the, and the child, like I would like when I was a kid, like as long as you see people being happy and loving, to you and to each other like that's what the kid cares about they just don't want to be screamed at all the time and be in a you know in a, or left alone or left alone yeah. like they just they want love and as long as they have the love and attention of um people that care about them i think that that can go i mean that goes a long way yeah exactly and and to ask uh, answer a little bit of an earlier question like on the daily it looked like you know a lot of adults coordinating a lot of logistics in a loving way you know, like, yeah. you know, there was, there was always somebody who needed to be picked up or dropped off somewhere. There was always a chore or project that we were running and, you know, parents get sleepovers just like kids get sleepovers. Um, and you have boundaries with who and how, um, people get to interact with the children if they're new in the relationship. And in that way, you end up creating an incredibly loving and abundant container for the kid to go to anybody with a question or like, five parents worth of knowledge, yeah. you know, um, it's, it's a real blessing in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you touched on it briefly was that you have siblings, but that they didn't necessarily follow in the footsteps that, that their parents laid out. Right. And they are not necessarily polyamorous. And I think, or maybe they are, I don't, I thought you, you mentioned something about them having different paths. Yeah, totally. We all, we all do have different paths. Um, and I, I giggle because my brother calls himself the white, sh- white sheep of our family. <laughs> um, he's still definitely in like a poly relationship and, you know, has, has his own quirks and kinks, but he, he personally like looked at the philosophies of the whole community as a whole and said, that's not what I want. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and my brother has also been in monogamous relationships and for him, he sees it as a valuable structure, a valuable tool, you know, and, and containing a lot of knowledge and wisdom that he can use in his every day, but he doesn't really hold the like 
poly identity pride flag the way that I do, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so again, like different paths. Um, and my two other siblings are uh, both like queer and non-binary. And so it's been really interesting to showcase to our parents what non-binary looks like in three different ways, you know, and like how our queerness manifests very differently, though we're, you know, like we have a lot of similarities on the surface and then we're totally different people. So that's also been um, a pretty interesting thing for our parents. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating. <laughs> so, so I think one thing too that comes up a lot, and I think it's whether it's swinger parents trying to think of, you know, how they broach this topic with their kids or polyamorous parents talking about it with their kids. Uh, being, being that you were the kid, I guess you still technically are your parents' kids, but <laughs> being that you were that kid growing up in this environment, I imagine there was a point where it started to become apparent that, like, even though you did grow up in Seattle, but that, that your family structure looked a little different than a lot of your others and that there was probably a certain point where they decided that they had to explain this to you rather than just being like, it is what it is. You you kind of need an explanation at a certain point and maybe how they went about that. And as a kid, like how it worked for you and if you wish they had done it a little different or what, what yeah, they could have done better. Yeah, have recommendations, yeah. Totally. Oh yeah. Um, my biggest recommendation is be out to your kids, um, as young and as in normalized of a way as possible. Um, and that's my personal recommendation. I also don't have children. So like all of that with that particular grain of salt for me, there was not one conversation, you know, we didn't have the, the poly birds and the bees. It was an ongoing conversation that we had and and particularly because they chose to do this as I was being born and growing up I didn't question I don't know what it's like to have one mom yeah I don't know that because right. I haven't ever had that right so um the questions that it, it wasn't necessarily about introducing the idea and that's why I find it really helpful is because then it can be a foundational idea now let's say like there's a parent out there who is discovering their own non-monogamy and already has children, right? Then how do you start to, to have these conversations? And the, so the primary thing that comes up for me is safety, um, you know, safety in, in culture and safety from other people's misunderstanding. That, those were the big ones. So they never, they, my parents specifically didn't want to encourage me to be two-faced because they knew that's not healthy, uh, you know, but there is that level of tactfulness and you getting to decide when and how you share information with people, both as like a powerful thing for you and as potentially a way to avoid situations that you don't want to deal with at the time is how they sort of started framing that. Um, so we, st we talked about tactfulness and we talked about veiling, um, and we would talk and boundary setting. And then also <laughs> there were just questions that would come up around like how the relationships worked, you know, cause relationships aren't static. So, um, developing a sense of like your breakup procedure for your child, if they know who your partner is, yeah. you know, um, my parents actually, uh, if, if I wanted the relationship and the person did, wasn't toxic, um, and my parents have pretty good judgment, then I was allowed to maintain a relationship with the person if I wanted to. 
like even after the parents broke up with them. So what I did like is it forced them to break up amicably enough, you know, that they had to maintain that relationship, which I think is super important in, in well-networked poly communities and poly in general, like break up well, if, if at all possible, but specifically because there was that extra weight and factor um, I think that it brought some more intentionality into how my parents ended their relationships. Um, oh yeah. And then the other tool is it for normalizing is to talk about things in an age appropriate way, openly and honestly. Right. And then also be just continuously remind the child that you are the place to come for questions if they have them. Mm-hmm. Right. And so similar to because I'd never had like the poly birds and the bees talk. I also never had the like the one sex talk, but I was able to go to my parents with any question that I had that was on me to go to them. Right. And when I was a teenager, that stopped happening. (laughs) But (laughs) but when I was when I was young, it was actually very helpful because I wasn't, you know, waiting for them to impart knowledge on me. And then they got a much clearer sense of where my development was at and what age appropriate boundaries would look like in that regard. Mm-hmm. Well, and you also had a wider selection of people to go to for that conversation. I would imagine if, you know, if you felt your, your biological mom was the best person to talk to about it, or one of the other people you, you had, you didn't have like one person to pick from, which I think is kind of a nice feature. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I still do that to this day. Like if I have a question on it, I have to go get a couple, you know, pieces of perspective before making a decision. (laughs) Yeah, that's helpful, especially if you're indecisive at all, to have people have multiple opinions and then you can make make the most educated decision for yourself. And if four out of five parents agree, (laughs) it's got to be the right option. Yeah, there were there were definitely points, too, when they had to learn how to be a united front, because like when you have that many that many like parents and smart children, like they learned real quick how to, you know, all communicate telepathically so that they could be that united front. Yeah. And now it's all just group text. (laughs) Yeah. This is how we feel about this situation. (laughs) Well, I guess maybe that kind of brings up, like you said that being the comet and now being the meta parent, you're now sort of falling into some of the roles that you saw modeled for you when you were a child, I guess. How, How has that like looked for you? And I guess, has it, has it changed sort of the way that you look at it all, I guess, in a sense? Yeah. So does polyamory look different from the other side? Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Totally. I, so I only, I actually coined the term meta parent with one of my meta parents this winter. It was really sweet because we were texting each other. She and my dad have been in a relationship, um, a long distance relationship for about 30 years. And so she's always been around, but she's lived far away. And so um, she and I were texting each other trying to figure out, like, what is our relationship? She's not one of my moms, you know, but she's super important to me. And uh, we figured it out, right? So it, um, I like that that I have the capacity to start getting, like, really critical about the narratives, you know, and, like, really building what I want for my relationships. Because that's one of the, the powers and joys of non-monogamy, right, is you get to build it exactly as is right for you. 
So, MetaParent, I'm really excited about it. It's like my new baby, my baby <laughs> word. And like, I'm, I'm feeling specifically around being like, like, I'm really, I'm super stoked on it right now. For me, uh, living in San Francisco, like dating around, you know, if there's a parent, I know what their time is filled with. I know where their focuses are. You know, I know that they've got drive and vision. Um, when they don't text me for four days, it's not because they probably, you know, are looking for something better to do. Like it's a very, it's been a very adult feeling. (laughs) Um, and specifically when engaging with the young ones, um, I've actually discovered I have my own boundaries around that. You know, like it's, it's not just on the parent to figure out all the things. I personally want to know the kid's name, if they're in school, what their passions are, you know, what's going to be a good way to engage with that kiddo. Like, I want to know that before I meet them. So you can relate to them. Totally. As an actual tiny person that I want to get to know. Yeah. And I'm curious. So this is something that being in coming from Seattle, I'm sure you're familiar with, with Dan Savage, I would assume. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So one of the things he talks about, and I'm not attempting to pit you against Dan Savage here and your advice, but (laughs) he talks about like, if, if you are doing the poly, like if you're polyamorous or swingers or whatever, the dynamic is where there's multiple adults coming into a household that I think, you know, to, to, to back up a little bit, I think usually he frames this around if it's a, a single parent starting to date someone new, that they wait a while before they start introducing their kids to mm-hmm. new, you know, parents. Not necessarily that they're parents, but to new adults that could start to look like that role. And I guess how how do you approach that in terms of, like, do you wait, you know, six months, you know, make sure you're somewhat solid before they start bringing you around their kids? Or I guess, what is your preference as both a totally. kid and uh Or are you figuring that out still, I guess? <laughs> totally. Um, fun fact, Dan Savage actually interviewed me and was one of the propagators of the word polycule. Um, so, Dan, I, I got mad respect for Dan. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So... I've always had a rough time with arbitrary timelines because human, like it's gonna, there's gonna be a situation where that timeline is going to cause strife for some reason. You know, you're going to feel like you're ready before it's happened or like what if six months comes around and then you don't feel ready? Does that mean there's something wrong with your relationship? You know, like that arbitrary timeline has never seemed, um, I mean, I think it's a good it's good to help you think about keeping a little bit of time and distance to get to know this person. Yeah. Sure. And keeping perspective as you, as you form that relationship. Absolutely. And then also talk to the person about it, you know? Um, like I, I'm open and forward with the people in my life who have kids. I'm like, Hey, you know, do they, do they know, do they know about you? Do they how? Oh, also how you're framing it to the youth. Right. So there's, um, for some people, like I go over and I'm a special friend or I'm just a friend, right? you know, just like one of mom and dad's friends, or there are other times when like they know what's up, you know? And, and at that point, the child and I sort of, I, I actually kind of defer to the child to like figure out like, do they want another person in their life? 
like also because the parent might want something like I don't assume that of or with the child. They're not as concrete rules, right? But it yep. it really is about like figuring it out. And if you if you're looking for like you know, something to key into, like key into that point in your role, in your romantic relationship where you feel like you've leveled, right. where you feel like you have, and not just the NRE, but like you feel like you have a solidity if shit goes down and you need to take care of both this person and your child, how is that going to work? Right. Like if you both can answer that question, I think you're vastly better prepared to actually do the thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think I think it makes perfect sense, and I think it's also something I was thinking about as as you were answering that was I I realized that the like thinking deeper about that question, I think a lot of times he frames that around, let's say a parent separated and now they're starting to date again, and you don't want this kid to have this endless like cycle of you know boyfriends and girlfriends coming through the house, and I think that's quite a bit different than you know. I've got these other friends and they're coming in and then sometimes it's unveiled that it's more than just a friend. And sometimes it's, I think it's a little bit different. I don't know. than than just. Absolutely. And like if, and I think that Dan is totally right. Like the safety of your children's mental health is primary. Right. Um, yeah, I totally agree with that. And to share, um, my biological mother stopped dating when I was seven years old because I was experiencing that. I was experiencing too many folks like going away, not being able to see people that I liked anymore, not knowing how to, how to develop trust with new people. So mom went celibate, um, and stopped dating and really focused on me for a while to, to give me that support and solidity. Right. And I'm assuming that helped. It did. It very much did. When she started dating again when I was 14, that also developed a whole different set of stuff. But all that <laughs> so. Yeah. Little teaser. I know. <laughs> but it's, I think, too, that's something that, you know, you said earlier that your parents always gave you that agency to say, well, if you want to keep in contact with one of our partners, if we break up, like mm-hmm. that's a easier said than done kind of thing. Right. I would imagine that it's like, oh, well, I know you broke up, but we're going to dinner or we're going to the, they're taking me to the movies and they're like, okay. So I think it's, yeah. Yeah. It can be for sure. Um, like also as I've grown up, those, those relationships have continued to grow and mature in vastly different ways. So there's a partner that my father, they're not on speaking terms, um, because of how their stuff went. And she called me up and asked me to be the witness at her wedding. So I like went to the courthouse and was the witness on, you know, on her marriage certificate because she felt connected to me in that way. And Mm -hmm. we have developed that sense together, you know, and it was like this weird, wonderful, intimate thing that I would have never expected, but I'm so glad I got to be a part of. And the the interesting weird part was I like had to come out to my dad about it. You know, I, I was 20. 20 at this point, but it was still like, Hey, um, about that. <laughs> it is harder said than done. Um, but it also is one of those in, impeccable growth opportunities for the parent as well. Yeah. Sure. I guess that kind of rolls into another topic as about coming out to people. And I didn't know if you had any, um, advice, I guess, for people who are looking, you know, who are non-monogamous and whatever that looks like for them and, and, advice for how to tell other people about that. Hmm. Yeah. 
Again, there's a whole chapter on it in the book. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And coming out about being polyamorous themselves. Yeah. Or yeah. In some sort of non-monogamous relationship. Yeah. Totally. Um, (laughs) I'm all about normalization. Like I find that to be one of the primary powerful tools. Um, so for me, it's, it's a little bit about talking about, uh, so for instance, I have three moms. Um, I don't personally differentiate them by like mom, mama, you know, like I don't do that. Um, I use a lot more inflection. So I know who I'm talking about, but then there are often times when somebody will be like, wait a minute, are you talking about the same person or, and I'm like, Oh no, no, no. I have, sorry. I have three moms or I'll say like, yeah, my three moms, da, 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 da. And then I, I wait for people to stop and ask the question. Yeah. Um, and, oh, and my other primary tip is when people are dancing with their own concerns, they are often going to ask vague and sensationalizing questions. So a very common one that I get is, but what about the children? Yes. Right. And I'm like, that's not a helpful question. And you obviously want to ask something else, but it's trying to, to figure out like, what are you actually asking? You know, and like, where, where's your real concern? Um, and then you apply logic to it and see how it goes from there. Um, right. So like, those are, those are kind of my two primary ones. So like, be confident, be within yourself, live your life. This is your life. It is normal and it is working for you right now, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And then if people have questions about that, get them to a point where they're asking like insightful useful questions because you don't have the energy to deal with anything else you know yeah 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 makes sense yeah it does Mm -hmm. one other topic i wanted to bring up i know where we should be wrapping up soon but um we always like to talk about safety around sex and everything and i wanted to get your opinion just being non-monogamous and being in polyamorous relationships how do how do you how does that work for you and how do you have make sure that you have those conversations word um so for me you for me i've taken the safer sex safer sex conversation and put it into my flirtation and foreplay practice Right. So when I'm flirting with somebody and we get that look in our eyes and we're like, you want to find somewhere else? I'm like, great. What are, what are we down for? You know, yeah. like it's a, it's about building consent into the conversation. I think that sexual health is a, is absolutely a, a component of consent um, and, and vice versa. So yeah, what are we doing? You know, what are you down for? Um, and then you move forward from there. And so if you like get to the point where you want to start swapping fluids, then, um, I'll like, I'll like kiss somebody and then pull away and bat my eyelashes at them and be like, so can I have a quick conversation with you? Well, I like, you know, trace my finger on their chest and they're like, Oh, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We should do that. Huh? Or they get, and then if they get nervous, then I, you know, I get to like, just breathe through it. And I have my, uh, safer sex elevator speech, yeah. which I got from Reed Mahalko many years ago. Um, and so I go through and, and I've, I've got it sort of memorized to now, you know, so it's easy for me to talk about. I know which order things go in. Um, and I'll just talk about, you know, my last time I got tested, what I got tested for, 
Um, I'm really a stickler about using the terms reactive and non-reactive mm-hmm. versus dirty or clean or positive or negative. Your, your mileage will vary, but I'm a, I'm kind of a stickler about that one. And then... Um, well, because there's a negative connotation a lot of times with clean or dirty in that, those words. And even positive or negative. Yeah, right? that too. Yeah. Yep. It can be confusing because you're talking about antibodies. Like it, it can be confusing, but like, and again, if your partner that you're engaging with is flustered, I, I got to bring it down to their level. Yeah. Right. So, cause I can get real wordy and I'm a nerd. So well, you're very um, familiar I'm, with that stuff too. So it's like, it's, it was what you oh. do. You know, you talk to people a lot about it. Right. So like, I'll sort of say my spiel and then. If they don't say anything, I'll, you know, ask a question like, okay, when, when was the last time you were tested? And they're like, okay, this time. And I'm like, cool. Do you remember what you were tested for? Great. You know? And then like, so I I go there and then negotiate from there. And like, for me, it's a lot about, um, I, I fall back on my acting training. Like you're allowed to mess up, but you're not allowed to disengage from your audience. Right. That's when you lose the magic. And that's what I think people are really afraid of is losing the magic of that sexual experience because of bringing in this thing that might be fearful. Yeah. Right. So like, you just gotta like make it fun and you gotta understand that this is a part of it. And like, I, I can be a little absurd about stuff. So I'll like take the glove and like snap it, you know, (laughs) and I'll, I'll make it fun. Right. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that the other aspect of this is about talking with your doctor and Minx and I did a really great recording on advocating for yourself with your doctor on poly weekly. I'll get you that link. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, We'll put it in the show notes. Um, So I guess what the thing that I, you know, that struck me about the way that you asked for consent, because I think some people might've even missed it. It happened so smoothly that like there was a consent ask of like, yeah, what are you down for? And that right there was you giving them the opportunity to tell you what they're interested in. And you can even say, okay, well, you know, if we're going to do that, where are your limits at? And you can, you can roll it right in there and it happened without, I mean, it happened very seamlessly, right? right? And I think people think you have to stop and be like, which type of sexual acts would you like to engage in now? And it, it does not have to be that way. And no. So I, th- I think that's something that was, it was neat how you did it. And I think it happened so smooth that most people probably missed it. So I wanted to point that out. Thank you for slowing down and taking the second to do that. Yes. And, and the other one, if you don't mind talking a little bit about the reactive, non-reactive versus positive and negative, because I know, you know, we've, we've definitely heard a lot of people talking about not using the clean and dirty versus positive negative, but I think the reactive, non-reactive is something that, that we haven't heard as much about. And maybe if you don't mind elaborating on that. Sure. Similar concept, right? So just taking away these connotations of like, who you are as a person from like how your STD panel results come up. Um, and when you look on, on, um, when you look at your results, um, sometimes they'll say positive, negative, sometimes they'll say reactive, non-reactive. And that's, that's, um, scientific terms, right? Or, uh, if there was a reaction to the antibody that they're testing for, that means something, Right. Um, and if there was non-reaction, that means that there's nothing to look at. There's no concern. And so for me, it's just really about bringing that objectivity 
is my goal. I understand that it can seem a little clinical or a little too scientific for some people, but also uh, humans, like we, we get confused kind of easily with, with simple stuff like this. Right. So if it was like, cause positive also in English has a 10, a genuinely like uh, the value judgment on it is, is positive is good. Um, so that, that verbiage and particularly like when you're about to be sexual, it's a vulnerable space. Mm -hmm. And so the, like setting yourself up for success, I think is what negotiation and consent are all about. Right. So, um, if somebody's saying to me, yeah, I test positive for HSV one, I have to be like, okay, positive means that you have, okay. So you have it, but then what does that mean for me? Right. Like, and and so for me, when I hear like, you know, I test reactive for this thing, then I'm like, oh, the results, the test said this thing that for me makes it easier, I guess. Sure. Uh, nobody's ever asked me about this before. So I feel a little flustered. <laughs> no, I was just curious. Cause I know it's, it's not something that unless you've really read through your results that you see those terms come up frequently during the conversation. So. Yeah. We appreciate right. it. But does it does it kind of make sense, right? So, like, if somebody were to say to you, like, hey, I'm non-reactive for all bloodborne pathogens, like, that would make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I cool. think so. Yeah, I mean, the, the positive-negative thing, right, it, it's always been one of those kind of counterintuitive things, like, yay, I came back all positive, and you're like, uh-oh, um, that's, not, yeah. that's probably not what you want. But. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I it, think, I feel it like makes sense. Non-reactive, reactive is much is clear. And like you said, if someone seems flustered or confused, you can then use other words to talk about it. But yeah, um, I, I would say too, though, to give people that, that freedom or that leeway that I don't, I don't think positive and negative are as toxic of terms as clean and dirty, I guess, in my opinion. Right. I would, I, I still think they're a much better approach maybe is the I would agree that there's they're definitely a stepping stone in an evolution away from the connotations that those words had that hurt people so much in this context right, right. so it's also about like remembering that like for some people it's going to be a heavier thing than other people and you never really know right so it's right. always good to have a lot of tools in your back pocket exactly yeah, yeah. well we should I, probably wrap up. Yeah, well, I think we could probably talk for quite a while, and and maybe we get to do it again. And we've talked a lot about your your family and that side of it. Maybe we get to come back and do more of the 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 co's personal life side of it and dive in <laughs> deep there. So, you are so much fun to talk to. I would love that. <laughs> all right, perfect. Well. We will, I guess, maybe give you the opportunity to share any last tidbits. Yeah, and plug your book. And plug the book name and all that and where people can find it besides in the show notes. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. Awesome. Great. So thank you so much. My name is Co-Creation. That's K-O-E Creation. And you can find me online. My tag is at Co-Create. That's K-O-E-C-R-E-A-T-E and at co-creation.com. And we've been talking about my book this whole time. My book is called This Heart Holds Many. It is available on Amazon for under $20. It has an ebook and a paperback. And if you are going to be in 
Portland, Atlanta, Austin, or Albuquerque in the next month. I am going to all of those places. Um, I will also be seeing you fine folks at um, Atlanta Poly Weekend. I know. So excited. I'll be teaching and doing signings there. So um, all this information can be found at cocreation.com and online. So thank you. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for your time, and we look forward to doing it again in the future. Yeah, and links to all of that will be in our show notes. We're back, and... Thank you to Co. Yep. (laughs) Thank thank you for writing a book and for coming on and sharing your story with us. It was awesome, and we appreciate it, and we look forward to doing it again someday. Yeah, and we hope everyone enjoyed this interview. You know, we had some really great discussions with Co and uh, gotten some, yeah, I think, really helpful things. So thank you again for coming on. And just a quick note, uh, we did record this interview with Co. A little ways back, so some of the information that they mentioned is a little bit outdated. We had played that on a previous episode. Well, in terms of the dates of where they were going to be for the book tour. Yes. So sorry, I didn't check check there. social media and the website for up to date where they're going to be moving forward. Don't expect to show up in those locations and find them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Bottom line: go te- go check their social media. Yes. Moving on, we have no more things to mention other than next week. Kelly and Frank. Uh, Kind of. It's Kelly's talking. Well, Kelly is speaking (laughs) for the two of them because Frank was on tour as a musician. Yeah. And was not able to be there. But super interesting couple. They've been together since the dawn of time. They're also... In their late 20s, 27, 28, 29. I believe so, yeah. They're in that range. And they've been together and doing the non-monogamy on and off since they were like 14 or 15. Yeah. So yeah. pretty fascinating. You will want to see, listen. You'll probably want to listen to that one. <laughs> Not see it. It's tough to see it, but you can <laughs> you can try. All right. Let's go. Have a good weekend. Yeah. It's only Wednesday for you, but it's Friday for us. So Right now when we're recording this, yes. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you in a week. And don't forget, if you ever want to get in touch with us, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Reach out, say hello, come on the show, do all those things. Yes, good job. Bye. (laughs) Bye, everyone.